Hear the word of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the world planted in you, the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. You guys can be seated. My name is Lachlan Coffey. I am one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And if you were like me, then last night you were preparing for your sermon and you were went to go trim your beard and you didn't have the guard on the clippers and you trimmed all of your beard on accident. And so here we are. I know you're like, if I had a nickel for every time that happened to me, I'd be, you know, that's where we're at. I have no beard. I don't know. I just trimmed it off last night on an accident. And so gone are like 10 years of my life. But I, I found an extra chin, so that's good. Uh, so we got that working for me. Um, well, welcome to All Together Sunday. We do this every three or four months. That's why we just sang about puppies. Uh, <laughs> it's the first time I've ever heard a worship song with the word puppies in it. And it's like, I like it. We need more puppies in our worship songs to, to show up. Because if you're not down with that, you have no soul. You know, you're just a, a dark black of ma- mass. Uh, so, just joking about that. I'm sure you're fine. Um, All Together Sunday is a chance for us to quarantine the Sojourn Kids area and just kind of let that air out a little bit. <laughs> and we have all the kids come in here and hang out with us. We do this every few months. And it's a chance to give the teachers a little bit of rest. They, they serve us week in and week out. 99% of those people don't get paid a dollar to work over there loving on your kids and my kids too but they are making our kids better humans as a result of the the effort that they put in. So thank you, Sojourn Kids servants. We love you guys. Enjoy this week off. We also do it because it's healthy to kind of be in here all together, just all the whole mess of us, all right? And so it's a little bit noisier, perhaps. There's a little bit, few more distractions here and there. You might get a new odor that you didn't know existed today, all right? But it's all praise and glory to, to the Lord. All right. I want to talk about some famous duos. There are a lot of famous duos in the space of history and time. And one of the top famous duos, according to the internet, is Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, the famous mountain mouse and cat. But you all know a lot of these uh, duos. I'll prove it. All right, here we go. Bert and? Yeah. Simon and? Yeah. If you were a fan of the 80s, there's an action show called Simon and Simon. That's not what I was looking for. I was looking for Simon and Garfunkel. Garfunkel is uh, long for Garf. Um, Batman and? Yeah, peanut butter and? Now, I didn't grow up with jelly. I don't know what happened, but somehow in my house, and my mom's going to be like, please don't tell this to people, but I grew up with peanut butter and sugar. Did you ever have that as a sandwich? I don't know. We were just grew up like that, and I loved it, but it wasn't the best trajectory of health that I was laid upon, you know? Uh, Found that extra chin. All right. Um, 
These duos, they rely on each other. They combine, and when they're combined, they operate at their peak. And today, in the passage, we have a duo here as well that I want us to keep first and foremost in our mind. And here it is. It's know the word and do the word. Know the word and do the word. Some of you guys are know the word people. You read books, you, you see a footnote at the bottom of a page and you don't do like me where I'm like, yes, I get to skip this chapter and I'm gonna be finished quicker. No, you actually read the footnotes. You gotta have a little bit of nerdiness to you, perhaps. When asked what you do about the commands of the Bible, you say, I highlight them in blue, you know? That, worked, that did not work in the first service either, but I think it's still good. Okay, but you know the word people, know the word, know the word. And then some of you are do the word people. You're real consistently faithful. You raise your hand first to volunteer. You're serving. Your hand's on the plow. You're always doing, doing, doing. You don't like books because you already done did school, you know? It reminds me of Ralphie on The Simpsons. He says, me fail English? That's impossible, all right? Ralphie was not a knower. He was a little bit more of a doer, perhaps. Now, James, the author of this book, now it's really a letter if you think about it. James is writing a letter and James was very, very, very likely the little brother of Jesus. Jesus was the big brother of James. So James grew up with Jesus. He studied with Jesus. He went to the synagogue with Jesus. He was very likely there when Jesus preached his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, and James heard it. Blessed are those who know the word of God and they do it. So from Jesus's works, how he lived his life, how, what he said about the word of God. James learned what to do with this book, the, the greatest book in the history of the world. This is the word of God. That's what it claims at least to be repeatedly. And there's lots of books about God. There's lots of courses about, God's, about God. You can go to religion courses in college. You can take humanities classes or philosophy classes and learn about God. There's lots of speculations about God and some of it's helpful, some of it's not. But this is not a book about God. This is the book of God. This is the word of the Lord as it claims. And as we come to this passage in James, what he's telling us is what to do with this word of God. He says, know it and do it. Know the word, do the word. So we jump into the, the first uh, section of this, verse 19. And I like the letter of James. I like how James writes, because he's really punchy, he's really direct, he's kind of really practical, shoots down Main Street, real plain Jane kind of speaker. And when you read James, you don't leave it kind of scratching your head, wondering, what does that mean? I don't understand this big theological exposition. You know, it's just, he's so plain with his language. He's really known for being practical and being kind of a listing, a list of to-dos and to-don'ts. And, but instead of doing that, he first grounds us by saying this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. He's trying to grab our attention right out of the gates to say, listen up, know this. Before we get to the do's and don'ts, know this. Another translation says it like this. Know this, my beloved. And sojourn, I think it's important that we sit in this for a moment before we get to the practicality of James and just sit in this. You are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. That is so important to understand that God loves you. Kids, your parents, the friends or family that are around you, they love you. And God loves you even more than that. 
Scripture says that God loves us like a husband loves his wife, like a father loves his son. We are to understand that that is our identity, that we are beloved, okay? And that's important because out of our identity comes our activity. We don't work for the love of God. That's a gift. We work from the love of God, you know? And before he tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. You are God's beloved. His love is not based on any performance. God says, I love you. My love for you is not predicated on what you do. You can't earn my love. Therefore, you can't unearn my love. It's a gift freely given to you. You are my beloved. So God's gift is, I mean, God's love is a gift, but he also gives us another gift, the word, the word of God. So then he, he moves on in the passage to get very practical here. Because at the end of the day, James is very, he gives us a lot of sound advice. And he says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, at first blush, you read something like that, and it kind of sounds like a piece of classic, timeless advice, like something you would see on a cat poster, all right? It's catchy. You want to hang it up in your cubicle and make you feel good about life. But realize what James is talking about here. He's warning us about five different ways, five ways, five traits, personality traits that can hinder us from knowing the word of God. They're going to cause stumbling blocks and be obstacles from us knowing the word of God. So we're gonna walk through those five personalities right now. Number one, the chatterbox. The chatterbox, do you know what a chatterbox is? You know, and you might be like, well, I don't know what a chatterbox is exactly. It depends on how you define chatterbox. It could be, well, why are you even using the word box? It could be mouth. Why isn't chatter mouth? That sounds more catchy. Wasn't there a band called Smash Mouth? I remember them. They were great. wonder if there were chatterboxes in Smash Mouth. You know, okay. <laughs> I'm no psychologist, but me thinks you are the chatterbox, all right? So the chatterbox, someone that talks a lot, someone that fills in the silence, can't let silence be, fills in all the voids with their own voice. They keep talking on and on. They don't stop. And what does James say? James says, be slow to speak. Slow to speak. There's that old saying of God's giving us two ears and one mouth. So we do twice the listening as we do speaking. So be slow to speak. That's the word of encouragement for us. Now, number two, the bad listener. The second personality is the bad listener. Are you a bad listener? All right, I'll say it again. Are you a bad listener? That's my bad listener joke. I think I nailed it. Uh, a bad listener is someone that's distracted all the time. You could spot a bad listener because they often say, I'm really busy. They use the B word a lot, all right? I'm very, very busy. And busy people tend to be distracted, frazzled, frantic people. They don't listen very well because they're always paying attention to something else. James says, we need to be quick to listen. We need to be quick to listen, quick to hear. And some of you have been told you don't listen. You've been told multiple times. But others of you, it's not that you don't listen. It's that you don't like what you hear. So you tune it off. You're intentionally turning it off, tuning it off all the time. Some of you have gotten information. Maybe the word of God has been confronted to you 
from the very words or a friend calls you out on something, but you don't like what it says. So you tune it off. You're not listening. You don't ponder. You don't consider it. You don't take action from what people are saying to you or the word of God is saying either. Oftentimes, the bad listener is someone that they don't live in the moment. They're missing out on the present. They don't engage in what's before them. We're seeing this right now in in concerts where musicians are now banning cell phones from uh, shows. So like Jack White, the famous singer-songwriter, you can't bring a cell phone to his latest tour. Uh, You can bring it, but there's some kind of technology that blocks it. I don't know. It's fancy, techie stuff. Um, I'm a doer, not a knower. Anyway, uh, but we do this. They, they, you know, musicians want you to engage with them, just like Jesus says in the Gospels when he says, you look in the scriptures for me, but I'm standing right in front of you. Just engage with me. Oftentimes, the bad listener, they're thinking about things in the past or things in the future, but they're not engaged in the present. And so God here through the book of James is saying, be quick to listen. Number three, the short fuse. Someone that is very prone to anger, the short fuse. One pastor defines anger as energy released to defend or preserve something. Energy to release, to defend or preserve something. And so we can, there can be a good sort of anger, right? Where we defend or preserve something. We see this where Jesus gets angry at times, God gets angry at times in scripture, but it's to defend or preserve something that is truthful, something that is beautiful, something that's honorable, It's a righteous sort of anger. God has a fuse. God has a wick, but it's a long wick that's slow to burn. And what James is saying, be cautious of the short fuse that humans have that leads to righteousness that's not honoring to God. And that short fuse is what he's calling out. This is an anger that is cancerous, that's a deeply seated wrath or rage There are some in this room right now that feel this even right now when I speak about this. One thing pushes you over the line. One thing sets you off. You're constantly thinking, just give me a reason. At any moment, I could go at any moment, just give me a reason. The people around you are always on guard. It feels like when you walk into a room, it feels like a grenade has been thrown into the room with the pin pulled. And if just one little bump on the grenade, the top's gonna explode. What does James say? He says we need to be slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So this is an anger, guys, that leads to evil. But what's behind this cancerous anger? I wanna speak about this because I think we all struggle with anger at some time in our life, many of us right now. What causes this anger? Just like there's a righteous anger where we defend and preserve something that's good. There's an unrighteous anger where we defend and preserve something else. What is the angry, the wrathful, the rageful person defending and preserving? I'll tell you, oftentimes they're preserving their own self-image. They're protecting what they want other people to believe about them. They have some sort of image that they wanna personify into the world. They want everyone to think that they are perfect in some way or some other image of themselves. And if anyone calls them out on that, or if anything calls them out and convicts them, confronts them, maybe it's the word of God itself that breaks down that facade that they've built up, then anger is released as a defense to push away as quick as possible. Here's what's happening. An angry person, this sort of anger that James is talking about, 
That angry person believes they can either be a moral failure or they can be loved, but they cannot be both. And so the minute that they are, get recognized as a moral failure in some way or the crack in the facade happens, they think that love is gonna run away from them. They believe that. And so to them, they will fight tooth and nail to protect that facade and so that love can still remain. They don't believe they can be a moral failure and loved at the same time. But here is the gospel, that you are a totally loved moral failure. At the same time, you are not either or, you are both. God went to great lengths to die for the moral failure that we all are. And we have failed tremendous, tremendously. But it's that very sacrifice that God gave that causes us to love God all the more. If you are an angry person, recognize that, guys, you have nothing to fear. Your puffed up image, release it. Lean into how much of a failure you are because the more you lean into the, how much of a failure you are, the more you're gonna stumble into the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God because all that mercy and love and grace is what it took to cover the depths of your sin in your soul right now. That's what's happening. So when anger flares up in you, don't just ask, why am I angry? Ask, what am I defending? What's at stake right now? What am I defending? And be be slow to anger. Let's move on. Number four, the hypocrite. Some might call this the compromiser. This is someone they like that sin, but they don't like that sin. In this circumstance, they operate in this way, but in this circumstance, I would never do that. You know, They segment the, their life. They compartmentalize their life. You have Church Lachlan and Work Lachlan and Daddy Lachlan and Husband Lachlan, all these different Lachlans, they don't jive with each other. There's no consistency in the, the hypocrite, the compromiser. And what, what does James say? He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. Therefore, get rid of how much? All, all moral filth and the prevalent evil. He's saying, don't segment your life, guys. Don't choose and pick how you're gonna live your life. Be consistent. Remember, we talked about who you are is your activity is driven from who you are. And so understand that in all the facets of your life, whether it's church or work or husband or family or whatever it is, that you are beloved. Operate from that and let there be consistency in how you live. All right? Number five, and the last one, the know-it-all. The know-it-all is the person you can't teach anything. You guys know this person. You can't teach them anything because they already know it. You can recognize them because they always, say, they are always interrupt you and they say, I know, I know. Oh, no, 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 you don't need to speak. Oh, it's cute. It's cute that you're using your feeble mind to contribute to me, but it's really unnecessary. Uh, I, I know, okay? They always want to prove how smart they are and that you, you can't bring anything to them. They already know everything. Uh, drives me crazy, all right? This is a person that is proud. They can't be taught. There's no, they're not, um, you can't teach them instruction. They reject instruction, in fact. And what does James say? He says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Another translation says, receive with meekness. We are to be humble before the word of God. Just like Job realizes in Job 42, Job realizes that the only true know-it-all is God himself. And Job goes to God and he says, I know that you can do all things, God, 
No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. There's a humility that Job puts himself before God, and we are to be just as humble before the word of God. We are to go to God in the Bible, and we, when we open up the word of God, that we say, God, teach me. What would you have for me? What, do you, what ways could I learn today? Instruct my heart to learn about the glory of Christ in this book. Teach me, I submit, I bow, I yield to you. That's the humility that we are to bring before the word of the Lord. So which one are you? Are you the chatterbox? Are you the bad listener, the short fuse, the hypocrite? Or are you the know-it-all? Well, good news, because you get to be all of them, all right? That's how human we are and broken, messed up we are. At times, man, we're all of these things. But there's consequences when we operate out of these personalities. These are obstacles, again, that are blocking us from knowing the word of God. Now, and we're going to continue to talk about these consequences in a moment. Let me note this also. James, very practical, down-to-earth James. Notice he never gives a daily Bible reading. He doesn't tell you when to read your Bible, how to read your Bible, what, you know, uh, where to read your Bible. What is he talking about? He's more focused on how much attention we put on the word than the, the uh, logistics of reading the Bible. He's more focused on an attentive spirit. Because what's the point of reading the Bible if we're not attentive to it? It's very possible to be unfailingly regular in reading the Bible, but do nothing but just move the bookmark forward. It's very possible that the, that the word of God is read, but it's never heard. You know what I'm saying? And we have to cultivate a heart that's receptive to the word of God. So how well do you know the word of God? I wanna encourage you, get into the word of God. Know the word of God. If you don't have a Bible, there's plenty of Bibles around right near you. Just grab one, take it. It's our gift to you, all right? But take the word of God seriously and, and love it. It should be your most cherished possession is, your, is the word of God. So fight to know, know your Bible. All right, he goes on. He talks about do the word. So he says this in uh, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This is a reminder, guys, for us to integrate our theology with our life, that all doctrine is practical and all practice is doctrinal. And I'll illustrate it like this. Kids, this is almost, it's almost summertime. Do you guys know this? This week is done with school. Yay, yay, yay. All right. So for many of you guys, you're out of school. Imagine that uh, Thursday morning, at least for Floyd County Public Schools, uh, Thursday morning comes, it's your first day of summer break, and your dad wakes you up and says, kids, wake up. All right, here's the deal. Number one, I love you very, very much. You are very treasured in my house, all right? But number two, I have a hankering for some chocolate chip cookies. I don't have time because I'm going to go to work, but I've written down the recipe, and if you could bake some chocolate chip cookies using this recipe, and we'll eat them when, when I get home. Sound good? Yay! Who doesn't love chocolate chip cookies? All right? So fast forward. Dad goes to work. He comes home. Dad comes home. And he, there's no cookies on the table. Uh. So the kids, though, they're really happy. They run up to Dad. They're like, Dad, 
Oh my goodness, I, we have spent the whole day looking at this recipe. It is top notch. We are very impressed with the words you use, the punctuation, hmm, superb, all right? We really like the phrase, sift the flour. That spoke to me. Uh, I invited some friends over. One has a guitar, they're playing. We wrote a song called, Lord, I Lift Your Cookies on High. And we have some other friends that are translating the recipe into 63 different languages because we want the people in Mwatuso uh, to know you, to know this recipe and cook these uh, cookies. And then we've been working the last hour on what it means to have gospel-centered cookies. And what is your dad going to say? Where are the cookies? I just want some cookies. Uh, you know, uh, sorry, dad, I was too busy studying the Greek word for cookie. You know, like... That's what's going on in this passage. We have to have verses like that because I know it's like hilarious to think about it, but it happens all the time. We know the word of God, but we don't do it. And what James is saying is execute what's before you. You've been told what to do. Now do it, guys. This is what God wants for your life. It's gonna produce the righteousness that God desires. I know plenty of people, you do too. I know plenty of people that know the Greek words for love your wife, but does your wife feel loved? You know what I'm saying? Christianity cannot just be an academic exercise, but rather a reoriented full life. I didn't tell this story in the first service. I'm tempted to not tell it, but I'm gonna tell it right now. Anyway, all right? So a couple years ago, I, uh, my, my office is really big into golf. They have a golf tournament every, every year, and the CEO He's a very competitive golf player. And I heard that over the weekend, his team lost. So I was gonna mess with him a little bit on Monday morning, and I walked into his office, the CEO of this corporate company, and I said, Steve, man, I'm sorry about your loss. I heard, heard about it, and I'm, just, I'm sure it's been a long, hard weekend. I hope you're, hope you're doing okay. Just really kind of hamming it up. And he said, yeah, it's been, a, it's been hard on us. The kids are, we're doing okay. You know, it's gonna be tough for a little while, but I think we're gonna make it. And I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about golf. And he said, oh, I lost my father this weekend. I know, I know. Because <laughs> I thought, oh no, you know, you put your foot in your mouth, but I was starting to taste knee and a little bit of thigh. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And, but I felt like, this moment, you know, the scripture talks about the implanted word of God, that there's this external word, but there's, there's internal word. And it's this mysterious thing that the word of God is in scripture, but it's also been rooted in us. And so anyway, what happened was I felt like this thing was bubbling to the surface where I felt just like called to say this. And I said, Steve, can I just pray for you right now? Some of it was to try to get out the foot out of my mouth, but some of it was sincere. So can I just pray for you right now? And he said, yes. And I said, can I lay hands on you? Because scripture calls us to lay hands on those that are hurting. Would you mind if I just laid a hand on you and just lifted you up to the Lord? And he said, yes. And we just sat there in his office, in a corporate CEO office, praying. He was crying, I was crying. And we just had this little worshipful moment. And it's just an illustration of knowing the word, not just knowing, but doing. Let's be conscious of what God is doing in our life, that we know the word, but we also act upon it. And that was just a sweet moment between me and Steve, the CEO of this company. We must fight the temptation to turn our calling as servants into something that we just study rather than someone we become. 
Rather than just being informed people, we have to be transformed, right? And may we avoid ever hearing Jesus say the words that he spoke to the religious elite that he does in Matthew 15, 8, when he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. May we never hear those words from Jesus spoken to us. Rather, may we know the word, do the word. Now, James goes on to talk about what consequences occur when we don't know the word, do the word. What happens? What are the consequences? He calls the consequence self-deception, that we are deceiving ourselves. And that's a scary thing because when you're deceiving yourself, you don't know you're deceiving yourself. You're just doing it. And until someone outside of you calls you out, you're just, you're asleep to it. You don't realize it. You're not woke, so to speak, all right? But what, is, what has to happen is there's a cycle that happens because we don't know the word, do the word, self-deception happens. But then self-deception causes us probably to not know the word, do the word. So the cycle goes on and on and on. We need something to break the cycle. So what do we do? Verse 23 through 25. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So not knowing and doing the word is like you looking at yourself in a mirror and then you walk away and you forget. You know, I look at myself in the mirror and I walk away and someone asks me to describe myself and I'm like six foot three, long blonde flowing hair and not a big forehead at all. And you're like, I think you're slightly deceiving yourself, Lachlan. <laughs> Didn't you just looked at yourself, man? But that's what, what James is saying here. You're forgetting who you are. And what, look at the language that James says here. Let me go back to it. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, he's using the language of looks into, which is the same language of looking into the mirror, but rather, we would look into the perfect law. Now, who is the perfect law, guys? Jesus. You see, the law by itself, we're all a part of the law, Christian or non-Christian. We all have the law. The law condemns us. It enslaves us. The law points out that you are failures, that I'm a failure. The law shows us again and again that we don't have our act together. We are dysfunctional messes of people, um, what this is saying is that we look into the perfect law. The law was never meant to be, to, to be by itself. The law was never meant to stand alone. It was always pointing to the perfect law coming, the one that would live a perfect life, die a perfect death for you and, and me so that the perfect law would cover ourselves. That's what we are to look into. That's what it's calling us to. And James is saying here, there is a tremendous need and a certain intensity for us to understand the truth that the Bible calls out about us and about God because we are allergic to the truth. We look into the perfect law. We walk away and we go to act. We go to do the word and we fail time and time again. How many of us have been here on a Sunday morning like today, we feel convicted, but we feel like there's clarity in our life. But then we walk away and two hours later, it's a fuzzy, messy mess again. Uh, We do that time and time again because we forget the perfect law. But what does James call us to? I love this part. The perfect law that gives freedom. 
but whoever continues in it, that we continue looking into it. Guys, what this is saying is that we never walk away from the mirror. We take the mirror with us, guys, the perfect law, and we take it wherever we go. And we're always continuing to look into the perfect law, which is Jesus. I'll give you an example of this anxiety. A lot of us struggle with anxiety of some sort. We have lots of worry, job, family, school, parents, whatever it is, lots of worry. And it's easy to look at a mirror like this and to know the word. First Peter 5, 7 is a great word. It says, cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. But we look at that and then we walk away and all of a sudden new anxieties, new worries are coming at us and we forget what we were just told by the word. What God is saying is take the mirror with you. Look into the perfect law. And what happens is anxiousness and worry are thrown at you, but you're not thinking about that. You're focused on the perfect law. And if we do that, then we understand this. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. First Peter 5, 7, again. What does that mean? That means that God, it took heaven and hell to go after you. It says that the earth shook, the heavens wept. God tore Jesus limb from limb because he cares for you. So cast all of the worries that you have on God, on Christ, because he cares for you. And do you understand the depths that he cares for you? And look at that and be reminded again and again that you don't have to have that anxiety and worry any longer because the perfect law brings you freedom, church. It brings you freedom. So we look at this mirror again and again. We never, we never go home without it, so to speak. We also have a reminder in communion. Every week we come to God's table and we're reminded of the sacrifice that God made for us. And we, we break the bread just like Jesus broke the bread on that day. He said, this is my body broken for you. And we, we drink from the cup just like they did that night when Jesus was betrayed. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Every week we come to God's table and we're reminded of the perfection that God has. And because of that perfection, we have freedom. And then we worship God in song and prayer afterwards. I wanna encourage you guys to come forward today. There are gonna be stations in the back, the front. There's a gluten-free station over here. Um, dip the, the bread in the wine or the juice. The wine's marked with twine. Just dip it in whatever your conscience permits. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna thank God for what he's doing in this room right now. And then we're gonna worship the Lord. Um, and if you wanna talk, we'd love to talk with you. We can talk now, we can talk after the service. There will be people up front that you can talk with and uh, we encourage you to do that if God is tugging on your heart, man. Um, let's pray.